0: Buckle up! You are listening to Musicians and Beyond with Sarabian and Lahorn, where we bring you the backstage info on the life, the lyrics, and the long journeys of the music industry. Last episode, we had the amazing, incredible singer-songwriter Chris Gendron. He played a song for us that's never been heard before by the public and even by his band. And he. Tells us some really inspirational stories how he has overcome some physical and medical conditions. This is definitely an episode you don't want to miss. So if you haven't heard it, go back and listen to episode number 90 with Chris Gendron and show him some love. Give him a follow. Today is a special treat. Episode 91. This guy tells us how ACDC changed his life. And made him want to be a guitar player. And Joel Hoekstra is the most down-to-earth and extremely talented guy we've come across. He has played with Cher, Whitesnake, Forerunner, Trans-Siberian Orchestra. And that's just a few to start. He's been on TV with Jay Leno, America's Got Talent, Billboard Music Awards, Regis and Kelly. And it goes on and on. But you don't want to hear from us. Let's hear from Joel and bring in Joel Hoekstra.
1: Hey, Gotcha. You got me. All right. What's going on, brother? Nothing much, man. How about you? Not a hell of a lot.
0: I'm sitting here in Boston, looking forward to talking to you. I know you get got a really busy schedule. We're interested in hearing your past, present, and future endeavor with what you've been doing. So how how did you get into this whole music thing?
1: Uh, I mean, I started playing basically because uh, of ACDC, Back in Black, seeing Angus Young on MTV and thinking that he was the coolest person I'd ever seen so he he really uh, is he is he still is my parents uh, were classical musicians and they had me playing cello and piano at a young age and grew up surrounded by music but that was really the first time I kind of expressed an interest in actually playing and realized I could play music that I like Um, and so yeah I mean that, that was how I got into it and as far as you know bands and stuff like that. that's a way longer answer i used to just jam with drummers a lot when i was younger we couldn't get a full band when i was probably until i was about 15 was when i joined my first band band
0: cool yeah it's hard to bring around a uh, a cello and a piano i guess it's a little easier to uh like a six string on your back right yes so uh are you all packed for the big monsters of rock cruise coming up
1: oh no I, I'll, I'll pack the night before <laughs> um and fly morning of the boarding and everything i'm always a uh, you know down to the the wire guy because i have so much happening um so um but yeah looking forward to it i'll be playing my set on there which i do annually which is very interesting set kind of starts out with like uh the first time they had me do it me playing like finger style acoustic off of my acoustic album and so it starts out really mellow but i give away free bloody marys to everybody throughout the set and give away stuff between every song and that was kind of the appeal and then um I started to add the, the y and guys on bass and drums. Um, Mike Vanderhuel and at, at the time Brad Lang and now Aaron Lee has become their bassist. So they pretty much are my go-to guys and um, for bass and drums. And then I'll usually sing a little bit. Then I'll usually call up a, either a combination of guest vocalists or a designated guest vocalist to sing five or six songs, kind of, you know, actually hear a real singer sing. And uh, right. and so by the end, we're jamming on like highway to hell, you know. So we've gone all the way from kind of playing this mellow finger style stuff to jamming on to ACDC kind of acoustic style. And uh, so it's a, it's a real interesting set, but it's, it's a big fan favorite because I give away stuff and and that's really taken off. I've got like actual companies sponsoring it these days, trying to get their merch in there, giving way turntables and bluetooth speakers and all kinds of like like legit stuff it you know started out as like ridiculous stuff sometimes i would just take a 20 bill and throw it out in the crowd and go
0: oh that's, that's awesome. for
1: somebody uh, but everyone
0: everyone loves something free
1: yeah exactly so that's like uh that's a big thing on there and then um i've been playing these acoustic duo shows for really quite a while but they've taken off the last few years with my friend brandon Gibbs. so that we just call hoax Gibbs, and uh, so we're doing two of those as well so i'll be going on with my acoustic and um Just kind of sitting in the training seat for Accept still, because they're playing on the boat, but I'll be touring with them, obviously, coming up in uh, really late April, all the way through, I think, August 3rd or something like that, so... Um, Latin America and uh, the European festivals so uh, I'm just going to watch their set and listen in in ears basically which will be helpful and be able to play the guitars that I'm going to use their gear um, just to keep it like cohesive and um, you know they they use these Framus v's and so it gives me a chance to get used to those a bit Listening to their in- ears and playing through their Kemper's that they play through, they've got a very streamlined uh, production setup. So it gives me an opportunity to, to hang and go through stuff with Wolf a bit on the cruise too. Um, So yeah, there's a lot happening.
0: There is a lot happening. It's uh what a blast that must be going on that cruise. I mean, everyone that's anyone is on that cruise. So it's probably a great networking event for you.
1: Yeah. It's a Larry Moran runs that cruise and Larry and I um, have a good friendship going back to when I was with Night Ranger. Larry actually was the tour manager for a little bit, just kind of almost uh, taking it on an interim basis until they found somebody. But, um, you know, he's just a great guy. We, we made friends immediately. And, you um, Night Ranger did the very first Monsters of Rock cruise when I was still with them. And then the next year they weren't going to do it. And uh, I had gone up on deck like day two with my acoustic thinking somehow naively that I was going to be able to play acoustic and not have people pay attention or something. I was just going to go up and practice and um, they ended up plugging me in and um, Larry said, why don't you come on, you know, and do what's uh, that acoustic stuff you're doing. I'm like, you want me to play mellow finger style acoustic on a heavy metal cruise like, uh, okay, I'll do it just to be on the boat. And that was the justification for it was all the marketing stuff. I was like, you know, I'll do I'll give away free drinks and I'll give away free stuff and every no one can complain. Um And it actually has become kind of like an annual thing. Well, not kind of. It is an annual thing on the cruise. So that's really uh, it's become a tradition, which is kind of fun. A little rite of passage for people to get up early and and come down and see the set like first thing in the morning. So um, and yeah, obviously, seeing all the other bands on there is great. And so many of the fans who are on there year after year. There is a little bit of a, um, I guess, like community aspect to the the cruise. You see a lot of the same people, so it's kind of like an annual gathering.
0: Yeah, fun, and you guys get to play basketball and stuff like that, and, and relax. I saw some pictures of you with uh, some good friends of mine, uh, the boys from Extreme, uh, yeah. playing basketball a couple of years back. Actually, we're recording from the hometown of uh pat badger uh, okay right
1: was- yeah the, they're the, the extreme guys are great great guys and um yeah so that started out like i'd say maybe my second or third year on the cruise i went up on deck and i started playing some cruisers like one-on-one and stuff like that a little bit of two-on-two or whatever and just kind of but um just noticed that that was like a cool thing because like you know that's a whole different bond than somebody coming up and asking for you an autograph for a picture or something like that or watching you play and wondering if they can say hi in the hallway Uh, it was like a a genuine hang where you're like all on the same level and you kind of build a friendship and so I suggested to Larry I said why don't we have a thing where people can sign up to play me one-on-one in basketball I think it would be really a good thing for the crews something fun and uh, as it turned out a lot of the other rockers were like hey I want to on that. And uh, so we ended up kind of building that into a full game that was like, you know, five on five and they make uniforms for it and all this stuff. And I don't know if the game is happening this year because of what happened with Nuno last Uh, year.
0: I was going to bring that up.
1: Yeah, Nuno, he had, he had like a, a pre-existing injury to a degree that, you know, got aggravated and then some. It actually was really severe, but, you know, it wasn't due to contact or anything. He just kind of came down awkwardly and it just happened. It was a, a freak accident, but, you know, obviously you feel terrible for Nuno. And and uh, so getting the other rockers to, to play at this point in time might be a little bit of a challenge now that there's been like an, an actual injury. So. I might just do my thing where I go up and play one-on-one with some people and hang out and have, have a good time. I, I right. like it personally. I think it's kind of cool because it's uh, it kind of puts us all on equal ground, you know, as opposed to like band and cruiser. Right.
0: Yeah, no, I love that. I'm, I'm sure the management has uh, tightened up on some of the bands playing. I know that I don't think you'll see the extreme boys out there anymore, but uh, besides that, you know, but no, it's, it's a great thing. Um, I got to get myself on one of those cruises.
1: Yeah. They're, they're a great time. I mean, I've, I've been on a few of them over the years and, um, you know, it's certainly my favorite one. Uh, they do a great job with social media and building it. And, um, you know, Larry's a great guy that the whole team there is just good people. And, you know, that that's, that's my cruise in essence, you know, that's the one I just do year after year
0: right awesome and you're involved in a lot of other things right now too can you tell us about some of those things
1: um oh gosh i mean i hardly <laughs> i hardly know where to begin i mean i i just got done counseling at a rock and roll fantasy camp in la and have another one coming up uh right after that um and i'll also be while i'm out there on that trip playing with the rock of ages band who i play periodically with and that's not the show it's the band kind of just going out and having a fun cover band night where we play the songs from the show and you can come kind of hang out with us. And um there those are fun events. So that's in Cerritos, California on March 9. And then March 10, I've got an event at a school called Rock Stars of Tomorrow in Norco, California, um, where I'm doing like a essentially like a workshop. I like to use the term rather than masterclass. That sounds so self-important. But um just kind of like you know, teaching uh, some of my things that I teach and do that are kind of a part of my style and sound. And so I'll be doing that and and then the rock camp happens and that'll be uh, four days and uh, come back from that and just get myself ready to do uh, more touring with Brandon Gibbs, the Rock of Ages band and Accept, of course, starts up. Rehearsals for that for me start April 22nd. So I'm kind of practicing that on a daily basis as well. Um, already, right now, just getting a head start on things and um, Latin America. I forget the date, the, the first date, but it's late April and uh, runs through mid May, like even a little past mid May. I get, I think I get like a week break at home, and then I'm going to tour the UK with Brandon. Um, we're doing an acoustic tour, and even during that, the festival season begins with accept. I'm going to like leave for like two days of that and go play the first festival with them, come back and finish the acoustic tour with Brandon and then basically designate myself to uh, doing the the festival season with except in Europe, which I'm looking forward to. Those are, you know, you've, you've seen the European festivals and right. those are just all last. And so um, we're just, you know, looking forward to getting out there with those guys and, and rocking there. I think they're a great sounding live band and um, everybody seems like great guys. So looking forward to working with them for a bit. And uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, of course that's, that's the, the, bulk of the year in terms of what's going to keep me busy I'm working on my own album right now that I wrote and I need to get the song ideas to Vinnie Appice those that Joel Hoekstra's 13 is my rock project that
2: yeah.
1: Vinnie is the drummer on and Tony Franklin plays bass Derek Sherinian does the keys and um, Girish Pradhan sings the lead vocals and then Jeff Scott Soto um, because he's a dear friend does backing vocals on it for me as like a favor which is amazing and so cool and really adds to the sound of it Um, So anyway, yeah, that's in the works. Um, There's another obviously just released an album from uh, Revolution Saints, which is with Dean Castronovo from Journey and Jeff Pilson of Foreigner. So um, the three of us just uh, came out with um, Against the Winds on February nine. So people can check that record out. Um, it's actually off to a really good start and doing quite well and people are enjoying that. And then there, there's another project I do with Frontiers called Iconic with Tommy Aldridge, um, my white sink date, and uh, Michael Sweet from Striper, um, who you also you might know from the area there. Um, and uh, let's see, Marco Mendoza, and then Nathan James, who's uh, amazing young vocalist. You know, from his band and Glorious is his main thing. But um, there will probably be a record from that later this year as well.
0: That's awesome. It's you, you align yourself with some really good names, and you know, for our listeners, they can find out all of this information. They can go to your website, Joel Holkstra. That's H O E K S T R A acom com. And you're really good about posting, you know, you get some great pictures, but also about where you're going to be and what you're going to be doing. So our listeners can can check that stuff out.
1: Yeah, I mean, I try to keep people up to date on there, do my best. And uh, I mean, yeah, it's social media is obviously a little bit more up to date on some of the stuff. If you, you But you can click over from JoelHooksher.com to any of my social medias and follow me there. Um, as well, so there are some things that fly under the radar. Like last night, I did a virtual uh, masterclass. Again, I hate the term, but uh, for rock and roll fantasy camp, and um, so that's something that didn't get necessarily to my dot com, but was something that was happening.
0: So tell our listeners, what is the fantasy camp? Is that when someone can sign up and play along with a established musician like yourself?
1: Yeah, so in the way it works is that um, they hire counselors, and one counselor per band, and they assign you band members, and then your job is to get them ready to play with the headliners, um, and even play. There's usually one or two occasions where you play even without the headliners, but the respective headliners, like for this upcoming camp, are Michael Anthony of Van Halen, um, Warren D. Martini from Rat, um, Sebastian Bach, and Tommy Aldridge, my White Snake bandmate. So, um, usually pick a couple songs from each of those, the, all those headliners and you kind of prep your band to play them. And a lot of times I'm a part of the band when, when we play it with the headliners. In fact, most of the time. And uh, that's kind of my gig there. And then you do a little masterclass there as well, like live in the rooms. And then there are jam rooms and things like that. So they're really long, fun days. You know, I mean, it's like there's a lot happening at Rock Camp, uh, but a lot of it is just, again, it's that... Uh, that process of kind of bonding for four days. It gives people like a taste of what it would be like to be like kind of a full-time musician really for four days because uh, most of the people that attend are either um, kind of older people that wish they had done it or younger people who aren't quite there yet that want to, you know, get a taste of what that's like. But it's a great opportunity to get to play with um, famous people, get all your your stuff signed by them, take pictures with them, et cetera. So yeah, they're, they're cool. It's a, it's a really unique experience. It's yeah. kind of hard to totally describe, but that's as best as I can do.
0: Yeah, no, that that's awesome. And you're able to, you know, walk someone through it to wants to be a musician. I mean, it's not really what it's cut out to be. Everyone thinks it's uh, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, but there's a lot of time, effort, traveling. You got to be away from your home, your family, your wife, your kids.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's there. there's an upside and a downside to, I suppose, everybody's jobs, you know, whatever it is you choose that you do. So, um, you know, I mean, it's in general, it's music is more like a, a roller coaster, I think, you know, and uh, steady jobs are like that. So sometimes they can feel more mundane to people and they, they hate their existence because it's just kind of like, boy, I guess I'm going to be doing this for the rest of my life and nothing is ever going to change. And you know, music is a lot more all over the map, doing all kinds of different stuff. And sometimes there's really high highs and sometimes there's really low lows. Uh, yeah. But, you know, and
0: watching I mean, your trajectory of the trajectory of the roller coaster, it's, it's up there. I mean, you've played with Cher. Um, you know, White Snake, you really established yourself out there. Um, what was it like to play with Cher? Uh, Cool.
1: I mean, you know, she's uh, very professional and very nice. And, you know, it has a situation like that where I would almost label it like a pop gig in a sense, although Cher is kind of like, you know, lives in her own territory. She's Cher, and then there's kind of the rest of the entertainers. But, you know, it's not so much about her coming over and saying, hey, would you mind playing this part like this? It's more, you know, you're dealing with the musicians, the music director. Um, and the other musicians in the band and and then of course there's dancers so you you know you travel with a it's a large group of people that that tour with something like that and you just try to stay in your lane and do your job basically but you know she's very cool very nice
0: yeah how do you get in touch with someone like that like do you read somewhere that she's uh hiring a guitarist or does someone tell you or Like, because you're in some really big, big acts. And how do you get into them?
1: Yeah, that was that particular one was just knowing David Coverdale was going to have knee surgery in 2017 and saying, we're not going to tour this year. Um, So I just texted a lot of my friends and said, hey, I'm not really looking for a new gig per se. But if anybody needs a sub or a fill in this year, keep me posted kind of thing. And uh, my friend, Justin Derrico, who plays uh, with Pink and plays on The Voice, um, ended up connecting me with his co-guitarist on The Voice, Dave Barry, who shares guitarist. He, Dave was saying, I need somebody to fill in. And uh, it was looking like it was just going to be a few shows. And it really ended up turning into a few years. I mean, J- Justin ended up going out with Pink on a promo tour. And they really needed Dave at The Voice. And um, Cher enjoyed having me. So that in turn that turned into, like I said, really a few years when I was supposed to. I was thinking it was just going to be a few shows. Yeah. Um, have you
0: seen a Pink concert?
1: I have. Yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, I've seen a lot of concerts. I was blown away. My wife yeah, took she- me in. I didn't know what to think when I got there. And I was in love after
1: she's, she's incredible she's an incredible entertainer and and uh you know I'm, I'm friends with her band members that essentially people that were going back and forth there's a lot of people that go back and forth between those two camps because it's the same management um same same manager uh pink and share so um you see a lot of crew members floating back and forth and um justin is a uh, really you know, I I hate using underrated because he's playing stadiums with Pink and he's playing on a huge national TV show, but. He's a really incredible guitarist. He's got um, not only the ability to, you know, learn all the ridiculous amount of material you need to learn for the voice and sight read it and sight reads like crazy and play very like session like, but he's also got his own style and his own thing and plays every genre, like totally, you know, seamlessly and, and flawlessly. He's really a great, great guitar player that's kind of left out of the discussion. I think because people don't know, often include like pop guitarists in the discussion of like, who are the top people out there right now? Right. They can tend to include the bands where you're showing it off all the time, or if you're an instrumentalist solo artist yourself, you know, uh, but he's a really incredible player.
0: Yeah, And as are you, you are not really just stuck to one genre either. You dabble into a little bit of everything.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I I've been open-minded really I guess by nature, growing up in the eighties, that was cool. You know, we had the guitar albums and all that stuff, but it was also cool to like, you know, not just listen to the the shredder guys. Like, you know, obviously there was a great movement there when I was a kid of Ingve and and Satriani and Vi and Steve Morse and guys like that putting out records, but you could all, it was also cool to be listening to Al Miola or Alan Holdsworth or, you know, Joe Pass or anybody who was good on guitar. It was cool at the time. It was cool to listen to Stevie Ray Vaughan. It was cool to, um, you know, listen to Christopher Park and play classical. It was just like kind of a cool era to grow up in um, where all of that was deemed cool just because of talent level. Right. Because the the shred thing, one nice thing about it was that the, what was respected was the talent level. So, um That was a cool scene to grow up in. Um, And then I think really the main contributing factor was all that kind of died when I got out of guitar school. So it was like the 90s hit, and it wasn't, you couldn't just get by on like technical proficiency and say, this is why I'm good on guitar. Um, So it sort of launched me into a career of playing with anybody and anything just to be a better musician and working and find different ways to prove my value. Like, you know, professionalism, being on time, having a good attitude, all that stuff, doing my homework really well. And, um, and then oddly enough, I mean, I did really well and made my living with music my whole life, but a lot of people think I must've done something else because they, in, in this eighties resurgence scene, people know me mainly after I joined night Ranger and they go, well, where, where were you? What were you doing? I was always playing guitar for a living. I just wasn't, as well known, I was doing some things like playing with the turtles and playing with big brother and the holding company and playing in theater and stuff like that. So um anyway, yeah, just being, being open-minded uh as a professional is a great thing. I've played with all kinds of bands and like all kinds of music. And I love, I just love playing man. At the end of the day, you know, I don't, I don't really necessarily need, um, shred and guitar heroics to make me happy playing I'm just I'm happy playing like in any way shape or form I, I do enjoy it at a high level though like I like it with great musicians but um, I don't necessarily have to be like the the shred guy per se.
0: Right, right. And you did mention theater. So you have been in a bunch of
1: theater productions. You
0: did um, Rock of Ages. Uh, And what else have you been in?
1: Well, Love Janis was really my first. That was a show about Janis Joplin. And that's uh, led me to come to New York City, basically. And that ran for a couple of years. And that director sent that out to regional theaters where you would sit down for like a few weeks and to different cities and so i did travel with that quite a bit but not like day-to-day kind of thing it was like go go to you know whatever tucson for three weeks go to phoenix for three weeks i think i in total i did that in louisville uh let's see cincinnati cleveland tucson phoenix trying to the san francisco in addition to the two-year run in New York and then he had another show a blues show called it ain't nothing but the blues which I did that in Kansas City, um, Tucson, Phoenix and Seattle so um, those are great ways to build your chops you're playing eight shows a week and you've always got a you know a full house of people you're playing for hundreds of people not for 10 people in a club somewhere and so good good way to make a living as far as being like a pro guitarist and feeling the pressure of playing things like exact and things like that you know theater right. can be it's funny how environments like that can make playing a G chord feel difficult suddenly you start thinking about how do i strum that do i strum it like this should i strum it? you know right so um you know good attention to detail good uh stage performance stuff and then i did some pit stuff so i had a friend here who lives nearby who does he's a professional pit guitar player and I just started learning whatever shows he was on and would sub for him. So uh, I subbed on the boy from Oz, uh, La Caja Fall and then Tarzan. Oh, cool. And being in Tarzan subbing for him kind of led to me getting Rock of Ages. The keyboard player for that show became the music supervisor for Rock of Ages and remembered me and hired me to do that show. So that was sort of the payoff then is getting like a a six plus year run uh, on Broadway with that show. And Um, You know, of course, Trans-Siberian Orchestra has elements of uh, theatricality to it as well with the story in the front end and, um, you know, I always think of TSO as kind of a hybrid of rock and classical and theater. There's like if you took all three of those things and mashed them together. Um, I mean, you know, it's an immensely successful tour that happens uh, religiously around, you know, the holiday season. So pretty much like, you know, rehearsals start end of October for me every year with that. And I've been with them since 2010. Um, so that's, a, you know, always one of the top Billboard tours, Polestar tours every year. where you know, drawing ridiculous numbers. And um, it's an amazing thing to be a part of um, just to be able to play. Eight shows a week, like you do on theater. Um, so you you know you're in an arena, but you're playing two shows on Friday, two on Saturday, and two on Sunday, and those are different cities every time. So uh, it's a great experience to get that much stage time in front of 10,000 people, et cetera, and to Easy. you know get used to that. So um, great, great stage experience that's hard to find elsewhere. You know.
0: Yeah, I get nervous coming out in front of 10 people, so I don't know how you do it in front of all those. Do you still get the pre-show jitters?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I get uh, absolutely. I'm nervous every show. Really? Yeah, even small shows. I get nervous for every show.
0: Do you get more nervous at a small show where it's more intimate
1: or? uh... Uh, No, probably more nervous. Probably TSO makes me more nervous than other shows because there can be times in the show where you've gone from this pyro going off and all the lights and it's gigantic and everyone's playing to a moment where it's just you with an acoustic and you're playing something and the the people it's not like a standard rock audience where people are talking and things like that it's just 10,000 dead silent people like staring at you playing guitar and that can be kind of like that's probably the, the most nerve-wracking like moments of uh, you know performing for me right there but in general anytime I get up on a stage there's always a little bit of anxiety that goes with it.
0: Wow. And if you were to give some advice to a younger musician up and coming, what would it be about being a musician?
1: Um, Just try to outwork everybody else. Um, You know, the, the landscape has changed significantly with the digital world. It's great in that you can make yourself known from anywhere these days. When I was a kid, you needed to be in one of the bigger cities to build a music career. Now... you're creating content online, you can become known from literally any place in the world. You can grow up in a tiny little town in the middle of nowhere. And if you're practicing 10 hours a day and uploading content that can take off for you, you know, but the trick is, you know, with a lot of that stuff is how do you actually earn a living? Because the window is always shutting when it comes to paying your bills in life and going like, okay, I've got to figure out how to make my money with this too. Um, You know, I watched that window shut on a lot of my friends, like when we were young kids, everybody wanted to do, you know, play guitar for a living and the window shut for them when it came to that end of things so you know the uh, the artistry is one thing to be creative and do what you want with music and that's great and that should never die but like to actually figure out how to pay your bills with it is another thing too. to figure out like how you're going to be a professional and be able to like handle life itself. Uh, the logistics of life is is a whole nother battle.
0: Right. No, that's some great advice for up and coming musicians. So we are talking with Joel Hoekstra and he's telling us about how he got into music, some of his history in music. And uh, uh, you, you talked about your album and that is called Joel Hoekstra
1: 13. Well, the and, project uh, is called Joel Hoekstra's 13. That's the that's the rock side project. So there's been three albums under that moniker dying to live running games and crash of life um so those three have been released and working on the fourth and i also had three solo albums that i put out simply under joel hoekstra that were instrumental and that's that's why I changed the name because I thought, you know, I need a different name. It's not really those albums. Joel Oaks 13 sounds like you'd just be listening to a band. The hitch is that I do all the writing on it. So it's my opportunity to kind of be the the dictator and be like, I'm writing the lyrics, the vocal melodies, the riffs, everything, oversee the artwork, oversee um, the the mix and what it's what it's going to sound like. And um, so, yeah, that, that's that's the one that I'm the easily by ten million miles. The one that I'm the most hands-on with um, in terms of what occurs.
0: Yeah, there's a lot to it that goes behind the scenes. On my way in, I I listened to Torn into Lies. Song. can you tell us how you came up with those lyrics and basically what it's about
1: uh yeah i mean you know all the songs are kind of like sometimes i go with like phonetics just things that like kind of flow with the melody like i'll have a melody in my head and like somehow words will just start coming out of my mouth that match the phonetics of it and then i'll just build around that um, And I love leaving things kind of open-ended for people to find their own interpretations in and find things that they can relate to. So the song is relatable to them and not have it just be some specific story for me. Um, But in regards to, you know, the musicality of it, it's kind of like uh how do you part two? Cause how do you as a song off of running games and I really, I liked it a lot. And I, when I was going to write for, uh, Crash of Life, I ended up just kind of going, how about another one with that same feel? And I thought, well, there's really no harm in having like similar sounding songs between myself. I mean, I can rip myself off, I suppose, you know, is the way I looked right. at it. So it's kind of like the the brother of that song. They're they're very similar sounding songs. So um, anyway, and it just kind of ventures off. And Appice is always great about taking songs on crazy turns and you know, unexpected things, different feels, uh, within the song. And, um, you know, I love that aspect of it. So while I'm very hands on with the writing, I'm actually usually very hands off when it comes to what these guys play on it. I usually just take like whatever they play on it and roll with it. Uh, you know, you just hire the people who's playing you enjoy and then let them do their thing and build around it. So, um, Sometimes it's the unexpected and that's cool. You know, I like that. That's part of the fun of making an album, not right, having It kind every... of
0: builds itself. It's like a building a house.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, that way they get a little bit of artistic freedom too. It's not like you're just saying like, hey, I want you to play these notes on the, the album. You know, that's that'd be kind of a bummer. I mean, the songs themselves, the framework and the lyrics, the melody, the chord changes, the riffs, whatever, that's definitely written by me. But when it comes to people's individual parts, it's like, now just do your thing.
0: Cool. Cool. And you said something about ripping off and you were joking about it, but if someone did rip off something of yours, do you get pissed off or are you flattered?
1: Flattered for sure. Yeah. No, Yeah, absolutely. No, I don't mind people ripping me off at all. I mean, that's cool. You know, I love when I see people covering my stuff online. That's always an amazing thing that like, you know, you, you feel like, wow, that person actually took the time to go and try and learn the solo I played on that song. Or sometimes I see even my old solo albums, like my acoustic album, people trying to cover themselves playing like some of the finger style stuff that I did. And I always think that's great.
0: Right. And as people look up to you, is there anyone that you look up to that you haven't shared the stage with that you would love to?
1: Oh, man, that's a long list. That's a really long list. So I admire a ton of guitar players. I mean, there, there's, you know, I think part of the beauty about guitar is that you can be good so many different ways and music in general, it's not just guitar. There's no one way to do it. And that's the beauty of it is that everybody's personality kind of comes through in the end and you end up playing like your personality. Um, so that's it's a hard one to answer because it's a, like a huge can of worms when you ask that question, because there's, there's a lot of guitarists I admire and there's something to be learned from most people. Um, I don't care, you know, necessarily what skill level they're at. There's always some, some kind of lesson you can learn from people like about, you know, playing and what they're doing that you'll like, check out their approach and go, Oh, it's interesting. You know, like I, I wouldn't have done it that way. And like, let me think about that. Um, so that's, that tends to be why I think, you know, the, the longer you're in this, the more you end up learning from the people that you work with. Um, you the more the more because they're the people you spend the most time with you know when you're working on their material so that ends up being a lot of your influences are people you literally like work with and uh you know people that contributed to the music that you learn
0: awesome and what do you have coming up that we haven't talked about yet
1: one other thing i left out is that i teach virtually um and that happens when i'm at home it's a set weekly schedule when i tour it kind of comes down to sign up lessons where people are on an email list and i say you know, these are the times I'm offering. Let me know if you you want one of them. And uh, so that's something that I kept from COVID. Um, you know, that was like something that started in 2020 when all the touring got shut down. And um, I do sessions for people all the time, like guest solos. I have one waiting. And so all that stuff kind of put together. Um, you know, it just, it makes for a really diverse kind of cool way to still improve yourself on a daily basis, uh, with music, you know, that, that's the one thing I didn't really touch on earlier, but, you know, staying really busy with music is not, it's not just about paying bills or making a living though. That that's an important thing, but, um, it's also about the want to be better, you know? So finding a way to merge those two things is really important. Like, you know, if you're a content creator, cool if you if you're making the money from it I think I don't know that a lot of them are a lot of people have like a day job and then they spend all their free time working on that content and and working on it um finding a way to get paid to actually improve is kind of always been the 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 important thing for me you know like all right I want to get better I want to keep practicing I want to keep playing guitar all the time and get better but you have to figure out how do those two things come together
0: And if someone wants to take one of those private lessons with you, they can just go to your website and find out how to do that.
1: Yeah. If they hit, if they hit contact on there, that's my email info at joelhoekstra.com. And people can ask about taking lessons on there. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Awesome. I know you're a busy man, so we don't want to take up your whole day. I appreciate you coming in with us and, uh, and telling us these stories and, uh, you know, we think that people come in as kind of an acquaintance and leave it as a friend. So we want to thank you for being our new friend. And uh, keep a close eye on my buddy, Pat Badger. Make sure he doesn't have too much tequila around this cruise coming up.
1: Ah, Pat's good people, man. All the, all the extreme guys are such great guys. So, um, you know, I'm sure he'll behave himself.
0: Yeah, he always does. I'm just kidding. Uh, and yeah, hopefully I'll catch you when you come through New England
1: sometime. Awesome. Cool, man.
0: Thanks for everything, brother. I really appreciate it.
1: Thanks so much. Right back at, friend. Bye-bye. Yeah. Have a good one. Bye-bye.